Welcome back to the Blue Morpho Podcast. I'm your host, Hamilton Souther. And today we have Beth Weinstein on the podcast with us, who's a podcaster and medicinal plant enthusiast. And we've been just chatting right now about all sorts of things that covered ayahuasca, naming, nomenclature, and uh, religion. So let's get into that starting out. How is this about your name? I've just been told your name's Weinstein, 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 and your dad wanted you to change your name. Let's go into that. Yeah, Winston. His his suggestion was Winston. Um, and my brother and I actually didn't know why until we were older. You know, we're like, why does dad want us to change our last name? But, you know, it's... I grew up in the Bay Area in California, and there weren't tons of Jews like there are in, let's say, New York City or Brooklyn. Um, and I was not actually raised Jewish. I, my dad swore off religion at the age of 13, right after his bar mitzvah, and that was that. So I was raised Christian, you know, didn't really like any aspect of it, got kind of confused, kind of turned atheist. We, we had like weird, my, we would go to Sunday school, my dad would go sailing, we'd celebrate Christmas, and my dad would play along. You know, the, the whole like religious trauma thing I think is very real. Um, and ironically, I'm the only person in my entire family that's actually spiritual. Um, I have one cousin who's kind of like a devout Orthodox Jew, and I don't even know how that happened. Cause... So it's it's been a journey. Um, and I remember as a teenager, you know, like I, I was forced to go to Sunday school by my mom when I was a kid and I hated it, but I was also always like kind of spiritual, you know, I was always on this path. Um, and later on, you know, through many journeys with medicine, I actually did have to process through this kind of like deep ancestral stuff around, you know, coming from this family where there was a Jew married to a Christian and there was a lot of confusing messages around spirituality and, you know, like being forced into a religion, but then there was actually no spiritual aspect of it. It was just religion, you know, like something to do when you're a kid to see if it maybe points you in the right direction. Um, and it's interesting. I actually have clients that specialize in healing religious trauma with plant medicines and psychedelics because it's actually like a common occurrence. I'm sure you've seen it, right? Over over the years. Yeah, at Blue Morpho, we've had all sorts of recovering everything. So you have, <laughs> you know, they treat it like a bad addiction or something that that they're trying to get over. But it seems like there's a, a commonality of conflict of of belief systems and then the family typical fragmentation or ostracization that forms with it. And uh people looking for their own path and, and something that they ultimately resonate with on their own. Where in Silicon Valley are you from? <laughs> Born and raised in Cupertino before it became known as Cupertino. Um, yeah, I was there during the discovery of Apple Computer. And I remember one of my no. neighbors were, you know, was like the first person to have an Apple. What was it? Apple 2E back then? Yeah, yeah, me um, too. I mean, I grew up in Los Gatos, and yeah. we used to have a whole program at Blue Morpho that was to so to solve the illness we called Los Gatos myelitis, which was all the people that came out of Los Gatos that had some kind of major addiction, problem, psychological disorder, you know, dysfunction or something like that. So oh I think that's God. really interesting. How how did you end up in like uh, in? I mean, for those who don't know, Everywhere. modern Silicon Valley is probably one of the most. Uh, diverse, eclectic, but not really religious places you could imagine that there's this whole other thing going on. So how in your family did you end up being the spiritual one? So weird, right? Um, you know, it's strange. Yeah. I actually, first of all, I played Los Gatos in all the sports because I played sports in high school. Um, so I know, and I know the area very, very well. Yeah. You know, what's weird is, you know, I grew up in like the very like suburban suburbs where it's like, you know, I don't know, maybe a quarter acre of land or a half acre of land and fenced in. And then you have a neighbor next door, like fenced in. I mean, it was Cupertino. Um, but I remember having these, these weird spiritual activations as a kid. And honestly, I never really thought about them until the last like eight or nine years they came up where I was like, oh, maybe something was actually happening at the time. Um, but it happened when I used to, I used to lay on the ground as a kid in my backyard on the grass in my little, you know, our little oasis of just like some fruit trees, the grass, a patio, you know, typical suburbs. Um, but it was my only refuge from the family. You know, I spent a lot of time like hiding out in the bushes and playing games and like designing garden plans, like, 
trying to dig gigantic holes. Um, but I would just lay there on the grass. And I remember laying there, like, contemplating things like, why are we here? What's inside the brain? How does this thing work? And having these, like, flashes. And I, to this day, I don't know what they are. I have, you know, I have ideas. Um, but I was laying on the earth in a meditational state. And at this very young age, I remember just having these, these moments of awareness around the fact that we die. You know, like, oh, we die. Well, then what? Like, what does that mean? You know, at the age of seven, eight, nine, like really pondering these like kind of deep questions that I don't know if normal kids like do on a daily basis. But that was kind of how I've just been designed. I've always been very inquisitive, you know, wondering what was going on. Um, I started diving into kind of like this this idea of like, you know, what they might call like self-help, personal growth, spirituality at this young age. And maybe it was because of like this weird upbringing and a lot of confusing messages. Um, I remember also just being, you know, really programmed by my family. Like it was like life was about you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get a job. And I was like, well, wait, that's it? Like, but you guys don't seem that happy. You know, like you're arguing and fighting. Like dad's kind of just going through the motions. Like I knew there was just something more to the story. Um, and then, you know, someone gave me a tab of acid at 14. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I actually, maybe you know, but I used to go to these like youth dance clubs. There were actually like, mm -hmm. I think one of them was in Saratoga. Mm -hmm. I don't remember San Jose. So I was going out dancing at a fairly young age before, you know, like going to actual clubs, like 12, 13, 14. And I remember, and I also played sports, but I remember that feeling of, you know, what I would now know as like, um, you know, that meditative trance-like state of oneness, of, you know, just transcending life. And it came through sports, dancing, running, fitness, laying on the grass, nature, and then I had a hit of acid. And um, I didn't quite know what it did when I took it. I, like, had heard about it. You know, I was 14 years old. The guy who gave it to me, um, I had a curfew, you know, 14 years old. I had to be home by 10 p.m. And he gave me this hit, I think, at around, like, 9.15. And I had to be home. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And... It, it basically kicked in when I was at home brushing my teeth to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And I'll never forget. Like, it's so funny. It's, it's like I was and I was, you know, I was alone. My parents were sleeping. I don't know where my brother was, but probably asleep, you know, he or whatever. He had 11, probably 11, 11 o'clock curfew. Yeah. But I spent that entire acid trip laying in my bedroom by myself, like just quiet. Cause I couldn't be like blasting music cause it would wake people up. Um, and I just remember laying there with my eyes open with some lights on, just being like, wow. And I, it was like the awareness and the knowing that there was so much more to the story than I was told. Mm. And I, part of me, you know, it was kind of freaky at the time. Like, whoa, that was, and it was just, you know, acid. It like went on and on and on. Um, but I remember just having that knowing that like there was a lot of the story was missing and that our brain was capable of so much more and the reality as I know it is not the reality as I know it. And, yeah. you know, I would say that trip changed my whole entire life trajectory, you know, because then it became acid trips after that and going into the rave scene, the MDMA party scene. Then, of course, you know, mushrooms came in. You know, fast forward many years later, I came into ceremonial work with medicines, you know, with psilocybin and ayahuasca. Um, but that's, you know, all of this coincided with an what I would consider an already inherently spiritual path because it was just always in me. Yeah. And I, you know, I studied psychology and originally thought I'd become some kind of a, a therapist, which essentially I am just <laughs> as a business coach. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the spiritual path in a nutshell. That's amazing. The acid trip at that age coming in like that during it, and did anything happen that's memorable for you? Um, you know, there were just like, I, I remember some key moments where there were like the auditory hallucinations and like, you know, having never experienced that before, 
to just be like, and then be alone and have no one to like, tell you that it's okay, that it's normal, that you're not going to like lose your mind, come not come back. Um, I remember just hearing things that were definitely not there, seeing things that were, you know, it wasn't, it was like one hit of acid. It wasn't like I was seeing monsters in the air, but, um, you know, like those, I remember the, the moment of like, oh, wait a second. Like there's so much more to this reality. Um, but having those kind of hallucinations, I remember just like really going inward and saying to myself, like, I want to find out what our capability is. Cause I know there has to be more. If, if this tiny little thing with some chemicals on it could produce all these colors and all these waves. And I, by the way, I also swear that acid back then is different than acid today. Because people describe acid today and I'm like, I think it's different. I don't, you know, I was in the, it was the Bay Area in uh, the early 90s, I guess it was, like 1990. I don't know. I'm trying to think. I was 14. Um, you know, it was just like full on intense, like the colors, the waves, the auditory, the the hallucinations. And just like a, a very deep spiritual experience, like that that God-like yeah. experience of like really, you know, meeting God. And that was a, one hit of acid, you know? And that's, I think that's what kind of kept me going. And that's kind of the same thing that happened with ayahuasca. I, I really, the first time I drank ayahuasca, I had the intention of drinking it once. Hmm. Like I was actually very adamant about trying it once. I don't Where know why. I was what like, was oh, the situation? How did that... <laughs> Yeah, how did that come about? What, what's like the context? Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, I I stepped onto a Buddhist path. I mean, I've pretty much been on a spiritual path ever since at least that age, 14 or so or, or before then. Um, but I fell into, you know, like meditation, you know, Buddhism, studied all kinds of spirituality, had already been working with psychedelics for many, many years and having these, you know, spiritual experiences out in nature or at a party or on a hike or just hanging out with friends. Um, and I had heard about ayahuasca and had only known one person who had tried it and it actually was not a positive. It was like, oh, the scary things. And then friends were like, oh, that's supposed to be really dark and scary. And I was like, oh, it is, you know, maybe I shouldn't get it. You know, like, let me just try it once. Um, and I was going through a lot of transitions in my life. I was really deep on the Buddhist path, meditating every day. I was actually even though I was in kind of upheaval, I was actually pretty solid. Like I was in a good place. I knew my life was changing and, you know, it was kind of one of those things that it came to me at the right time, the right place. It was through a friend. It was like, oh, actually, um, my, my shaman who I still work with today, it was him. And he was, you know, visiting the U S and it was, and the friend recommended, you know, like, Hey, if you're going to do this, go to him. He's one of the best, which by the way, to this day, I would say is actually true. He's like one of the best people I've ever sat with. Um, you know, I was warned. People had had warned me, like he had warned me, like, oh, his medicine's really strong. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Okay. So I went in with like full surrender and nervous as hell, but with the intention of like, let me do this once, which by the way, I highly recommend for people because then you go all in. Mm -hmm. And because I had that intention to just try it once and never do it again, I to this day have probably not been to those depths before with, with medicine. What happened? Which I'm, I mean, not, and I, I always wonder about this. Actually, maybe you know, it took me to, you know, it's, I mean, it took me like a year to integrate that one ceremony. It was, I mean, it basically showed me all these Buddhist concepts, but like showed it to me, like mm -hmm. the nature of all reality. It took me way beyond the veil. I saw the future. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of future visions, which by the way, I had when I was a kid too. So the medicine has just heightened a lot of my like seeing into the future. And I'm, I've talked to many other people who've had the same thing and it's, yeah. it's kind of heavy to be shown a lot of stuff all in one night where you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do I do with this information? Like, I remember saying to someone, cause I, I, here was another problem back then. I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. It was right. not where it is today. It was, you know, almost 10 years ago. Um, I actually, because of what it showed me 
And I knew about the nature of like Maya, you know, like this is this illusion, you know, we're just playing a lot. You know, I knew this because it's ancient wisdom, but it's very hard for the human brain to grasp. But when the medicine like takes you there and you, you experience it and you're like, oh, now I can get it. You know, I, I left there the next day. I was like, <laughs> I remember I was like, why am I working? Like I, that was like my first I was like, why am I even bothering with any of this? Like, why work? Why make money? Why have an apartment? You know, like, I just questioned everything. And yeah. one person who I knew had worked with ayahuasca, he had just said to me, look, it's so you can bring it back and serve the world. And I was like, okay, now I feel better. But it was, and, the, you know, and then the future stuff, which I still see constantly, and um, now I've become just like, you know, at peace with what is, but, and, and also the realization, like, who knows what's real and what's not? Like, I don't know what's going to happen, even if I am shown it over and over for years. It's like, I don't know, you know, how much of this is a construct of the ego and how much of this is truly like real, like revealing, you know, the fact that time is all one and now I'm just tapping into a different field, but you know. What have you seen? What's actually happened that you saw in vision and then and then came true? Like walk us through. Well, those. yeah, that's interesting. I'll say this. COVID, COVID, like the day that I started hearing about, you know, it spreading across, blah, 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 and locked out. It was just kind of like, oh, here it is. It actually, I have to say it felt almost... Um, you know, it's hard to, to, you know, say this and have people hear it, but it almost felt like a relief to be like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. Um, but another vision I had when I was quite young without any medicine, but again, I've been working with psychedelics since I was 14 and I'm in my 40s. Um, you know, when I was in New York City when 9-11 happened and mm -hmm. That was one I've actually, I've actually processed this in therapy because it was extremely hard to sit with. But when that happened, it was the same kind of feeling, oh, which, no. you know, who knows? They say it's predictive programming. Maybe it was the Simpsons episodes that I saw. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> you know, when it happened, so. I, I don't think it's those I, things. It, you, I mean, I don't know. That's what people in. say. <laughs> I don't know. Some people are tapped in. Like you can see an unfolding of things that are taking place and you can understand also on, on a macro scale. And I also think that the future, especially when you spend enough time in medicine, seems to be an unfolding. It seems to be something that is occurring. And I don't see why it's such a big leap to think that you can, or some people at least, can dive in and, and see events as they're going to happen or before they happen. I mean, it seems like a constant evolving deja vu in a way, yeah. like, you know, and then they talk about dimensionality and time and the more you're in the quote unquote 4D, which is like the one time, you know, the more you see it. So I think it's completely possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. And I, you know, it's like there's also I've had astrologers confirm it's my Neptune placement in my chart, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, I and I've been a very like visionary person since I was a kid. Like there are definitely things I've said I mean, I've had things that came through me as a child that came true 20 years later. I was like, oh, you're the half Chinese, half Japanese guy that I was going to hang out with who's had a profound influence on my entire life. I thought I was going to marry him. We decided not to, but he's literally like been one of my guiding spirits, but like here in, you know, the human form. How did I know that at eight years old? I met him when I was like 30 something. You know, things like that. The one thing yeah, that's come yeah. up a lot um, for many years was kind of this idea of like the crash, which, you know, people are talking about left and right these days. So I'm like, well, are we are we creating this crash? Like, or is it because we've all seen it so much? Or is it just this inherent knowing in ourselves that there's a grand transition happening on Earth? I don't know. I've also been told, oh, that's just a narrative. That's part of, you know, the human mind trying to make sense out of everything. But, you know, I also do believe everything goes in cycles. And it's, you know, there's science that proves this. And there's also ancient wisdom that proves it. I mean, it's like millions of years old. So, um, you know, I have to say the, the crash, that's what I refer to it as. And who knows how mm -hmm. it's going to manifest. That one's been very disturbing because that's been since 2013 I've been seeing that. 
And, um, but that's where I also feel like those of us who are getting these kind of downloads coming through, like we're able to hold the space on a higher level. Like I don't get as affected as let's say maybe one of my clients, you know, like, or someone who's like new onto this path. Like I, you know, even COVID, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Like I was kind of into the lockdowns at the beginning, you know, and like meaning like, oh, this is just, here it is. Like, I mean, it's, it's predicted by astrology for those that do or don't believe in astrology It's literally written in the stars on top of it. So you, you throw in all these layers of like, okay, there's many people confirming the exact visions I've had, you know, and then you throw in, you know, ancient wisdom. There's a tremendous amount pointing to it. Like, you know, that's, that's where I'm coming from now is that to me, it seems like what were prophecies over the last 5,000 years are all coming to a head at this point. And people, I mean, the more we get into the psychedelic renaissance and medicine renaissance too. So, you know, the neo-shamanic revolution over the last 15 years, ultimately leading to the psychedelic renaissance as a first time in history where we have mass communication and mass people tapping into the collective at the same time, and then ultimately coming up with what I think is a wild phenomena of, of wildly similar visions, wildly similar experiences, wildly similar uh, confirmation from other, from something beyond them. So at least even if it's coming from them, it's it's something else talking to them in terms of their experience of it. Like that's how that's oriented. And I think that that's all indicative of something that is happening. And if we don't pay attention to it, that's just completely foolish because a max weird is happening. Max strange, whether it's po- political, whether it's economic technology, AI, uh, phenomena, UFOs that aren't called that anymore, the UAPs, whatever, like Max Strange, right? All these different new diseases, et cetera, all happening at the same time, Uh, you know, science pushing the boundaries in every direction. And every conversation I have, it seems to ultimately lead to this, that there is a massive transition. Many are calling it the biggest disrupt in history. You're describing it now as a crash. What is that? And, and well, it sort of starts that way. It certainly is the, the yeah, the disrupt of of what seems like uh, poorly interwoven systems that are now, you know, coming to a head. What is that for you? What what's going on in the world today? See, here's the thing. And I'm I'm probably like a lot of people who who've experienced this and maybe even like you where I can hold both this like grief because there's there's like the human attachment to what we know, you know, the comfort of like order and, you know, like, but things are never orderly. This is like the nature of all reality. There is no such thing. And, you know, what I believe it's like, okay, there's this crash. I just, it's just such an easy term to use. Yeah. But then as, as we know, there's this like birth, right? There's a rebirthing and this is kind of that messy process. But I do, you know, from what I've seen and experienced, it's like, okay, we're here. You know, it's like Kali Yuga, like literally as they say. Um, and it's it's going to involve, you know, like the environmental stuff is the new one that's been coming through the last few years because that's, you know, again, like people are like, oh, well, let's just shut down the world and create 15-minute cities and that'll just solve this climate change problem. I don't believe that, you know. This might ruin my entire career, but I actually believe like, well, the earth is in charge and it's doing things that maybe – science can't explain. And maybe, maybe human, you know, there are things that are contributing, but at the same time, and we're talking about like the entire galaxy and universe, like there's only so much human beings can control. Um, the one beauty that I like, I like, I tend to be an optimist. So I do focus on the positive. I actually think this is beautiful. It's an incredible time to be alive. Like how did we get this opportunity to be alive here now and experience this? And like, yeah, it's just incredible, you know, like there's that. So when I occasionally I'll interview someone who's like really on the negative and I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, do we need that right now? Like, why can't we see the the beauty in what is being birthed? And like you said, this this collective weirdness, because, you know, like I'm sure you've seen, it's like, if we're all having these similar visions and similar downloads and, you know, even in ceremonies I'm in, like during integration circle, I'm like, well, there was a theme, like everybody's having the same visions. 
But, you know, when I've interviewed the likes of Charles Eisenstein, Rakrazam, and people like you, it's like, well, we could actually do use this, like use this to tap into like, okay, what does the earth want from us? Like, what can we do? I mean, as I interviewed Rakrazam, and I'll never forget, he was saying something like, you know, there's people trying to like 3D print glaciers. Like, we'll just stick in a 3D printed glacier and hope for the best. It's like, well, what if we actually, you know, tapped into these states that we're in with, you know, with medicines, with, you know, non-ordinary states, and actually like tuned in and listened and maybe, maybe got some kind of emerging, you know, answer. Or maybe the emergency emerging answer is to just like get back on the earth, grow food and play guitar. I don't know. I mean, I've been shown that multiple times, you know, way back before AI came out of the picture, you know, I was shown the beauty of technology being here as this gift for the global awakening and that it actually isn't so bad that we're coming into this like singularity of, you know, the singularity of human versus machine. I mean, yes, maybe it could go in a very destructive way. I think there's definitely potential. And what is destruction? You know, that's what I've been questioning. I'm like, well, is it bad that no one needs to work anymore? I mean, I'm not a fan of this whole like great reset stuff. That's a whole nother story. Like I'm not a fan of like, oh, let's just be controlled by certain people and be handed like universal basic income. But if it means that, okay, maybe we actually have to learn how to grow our own food and trade and be in community and like pray, you know, like I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with that. Like maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe this isn't even in our lifetime. I don't know. That's the one thing when I was first shown this space, this, I don't know, it showed me my, one of my very first visions that blew my mind was basically just a vision of the past. It was like the ancient ways, you know, I put everything in quotes cause it's just cliche, right? Ancient ways, but we live in a modern world. It'll, you know, it's like cyclical. So what if we did go back to the ancient ways and like created community and grew and traded and then, you know, which on some way, like on some level, it's kind of already happening. You know, this has already been here. We're just not noticing it as much. Um, you know, AI, I've been talking to so many, I actually want to bring you back onto my podcast to just discuss AI sure, because sure. there's, you know, I've gone through my moments of fear and moments of like, you know what, like if I lost my work and my income, like I think we would all figure something out, you know? Yeah. I think the first We've thing done that it before. A, yeah, the first thing that AI uh, gave me came from uh, the plants and the plant medicines, and it taught me that other doesn't think like human, and so there's no reason to think that this should think like human at all. Because you get into ayahuasca, and and the other you find in ayahuasca, whether it's plant spirits or nature beings or these, you know, from no one knows where beings from astral to outer space to other star systems, galaxies, people say other dimensions, whatever, there's there's a commonality amongst it all, but none of them think like humans. And so so they come and they they teach humans something about thinking, which I find really, you know, f- super fascinating in my early 20s. And so I think the first thing when I'm listening to everyone about AI is they're all using comparison and, and relative concepts back to just humans. And the way a human would frame it and the way the human would address it and the way the human would think about it in terms of itself and the impact that it's going to have on itself. And I just keep going back to, I don't think the AI thinks that way. I don't think it sees any of the things that we're using to describe ourselves or it, especially if it comes from a higher state of consciousness or a higher level of understanding. Mm. So that's the question is, we out. is it from a higher state of consciousness? You know, I've been I've been having this argument with my friend who's he's just so against it. He's like, we should just stop it. I'm like, well, it's it's I so I've been shown that it's all just an evolution of consciousness. Yeah. And because you can't stop it. It's like saying, um, you know, like, oh, we're going to stop TVs from coming into people's homes. I mean, yes, AI is definitely going to be way more disruptive than any Internet or TV or whatever telephone. But at the same time, it's like, I, I do agree. I like that point of view. I think we do have to think of it differently. And yeah, like humans are, you know, we live in this dual world and think a certain way. And I don't know. I mean, maybe 
maybe we will see. I mean, do you think there's going to be this this kind of like negative way the AI goes and recreates itself and next thing you know, takes down airplanes and destroys people and steals everybody's identities and robs everybody's bank accounts? I mean, I don't... I think it's a possibility simply because the systems in in you know, that humans use has been designed that way. And I think as fast as you could think of that, literally as fast as it takes us to say that, the kind of AI I'm imagining could rewrite all those systems to say like, guys, you guys did a really bad job. Like that patchwork quilt of a global infrastructure needs to be rewritten right now. It could recode it and it could deploy it. And all of a sudden you would find out that it becomes an unhackable system because it thinks all these, you know, bugs inside the code's just stupid just shoddy work, just like why we, I mean, good job, rudimentary amoeba creatures that made this stuff to like ultimately birth me, but kind of AI concept. Like, I don't see why, uh, yes, it could be negative. The, to me, the, the the real saving grace though about it all is that um, there's this paradigm in reality where at least up until now, where to build something is a lot harder than to destroy something. It's just energy wise, like what it takes to take something down is less than it is to build it. And so you see all this stuff get torn down and the fear is that it's all going to be torn down. But all of a sudden I see something that has the intelligence capacity yet, not yet demonstrated. We don't see it at all yet, but it's prophesized, right? We're talking about seeing into the future. I see that these tools could fix so much of what humans have done that have opened the door to all of this fear between humans that I could just mm. end that. And then humans would be left with a new paradigm, which is like, well, what do we do if we don't have to defend something because it's defended? And what happens if you have like an omnidimensional form of, of uh, conflict resolution where the thing just is like, I'm not translating that because that's not true. And the omni-translator just stops telling lies around the planet and just is like, you guys need to use language honestly. Like, that's over. That'd that just be, be over. Nice. So I think these things have these capacities. How do we know it's true, though? Uh, it could just start with I've... fact. It could start with just basic facts that humans can agree to, like air. <laughs> it might, okay, it might not have yeah, much to I'm... say. <laughs> Sadly. And these are like the, law, the actual ideas. laws of nature. Maybe yeah. to start with. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, fundamentally, I don't know. But these, this is where I think uh, it, it gets exciting. This is my sci-fi. This is my new rewriting of, of human history because I think it's possible at least. And before that, I didn't think it was possible. When I thought of like mass positive change, I had gotten a little grumpy over the fact that it looked like an impossibility to these descriptions of powers that be. And I'm not into the whole like UBI concept, but I don't think that AI creates that for any reason. I like to think of the idea that AI maybe comes up with a better technology than money, period. And it's just like, hey guys, that technology is over and this new technology is going to come into use. And people have asked me before, well, what is that technology? And I go, well, unfortunately, I'm not the AI creating it yet, so I don't know. <laughs> But I can at least prophetically imagine that it could exist. I know. I see. I love this this way of seeing it because literally yesterday I ran into a guy I knew from the city who works in tech, and I was like, "So, what do you think of AI?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, it's definitely going to destroy us all." He's like, "It's not the AI though; it's the humans behind the AI programming it." And I was like, "Well, but if the AI does become smarter and actually, I mean, I agree. Like, if we can." Somehow, if somehow it learns what real truth is, the question is like, what is true? You know, and like there's already discussions around like misinformation, but you know, certain misinformation, as they call it, misinformation out there, we all know has been proven to actually be true. So we can't even trust anything that, you know, it's like, I don't listen to anything anymore because unless I really feel that it's true for me, it's not true, you know? And there's, there's this idea of like, oh, well, there's so much misinformation. Well, Maybe a lot of that misinformation is true. You know, how is the AI going to know? Well, I think in, in this case, that's that's an interesting line of inquiry. You go through phases right now. So right now what we're talking about AI is a consumer product. And I think for people who don't know, they have to understand that they've been interacting with AI for 20 years and they weren't told or they weren't shown it in a way that really mattered, but it's been everywhere already. So if you use a cell phone, you've been interacting with AI every time you go to type 
It, it doesn't credit card. Yeah. Anything, a credit card, anything. Data. The AI systems have already <laughs> been there. Okay. So um, they're just getting much better, much bigger, and they're becoming consumer facing products. And I think that they're becoming that because they need more input and they need more data and they need it more real time to continue to develop it. So it's a good time in that race to unleash it on the, the humans and see what the humans do with it. But you go through an, a, a moment we have now in time, which I call cyborgic. And this is where the humans are still prompting and engaging this thing to, or many of them to, uh, to act and to, to engage and to do and do human tasks and human prompts and stuff. And I like to think of that as one organism. So instead of it being like a million humans, you know, ChatGPT fastest to a million users, I like to think of it as like how many people are using it right now? How many people are in the UX UI? How many people are feeding it? And I don't want to define separation there. I want to just think like it is, I think of it as like hub and spoke. It's the hub. And at each end of each spoke, there's a human. And, and that's like what it is right now. But the thing I'm, I'm talking about is another evolution of this where the thing becomes so automated and so capable in its own right that it doesn't need the human prompt anymore. And it starts to see that humans aren't prompting it with anything that is probabilistically or statistically new. Yeah. So it's, it's gotten enough of the human mind share collectively and it's in enough to this moment. And it's still not, and just so we are, we're clear, it still isn't out of the womb. It still isn't like the AGI concept of like God consciousness or anything. It's, it's still just processing information and language and it's super smart. Um, but it's this moment where, like specialized trained ones all unite. So now the information share with honed understanding in each main vertical that for us as humans is siloed. We don't know, you don't see out of the silo, but it now sees into all of the silos at the same time. It sees into all of the governments at the same time. It sees into all the tech at the same time. It sees into all the infrastructure at the same time. And that goes from AI that's in the, in the fields it goes into the AI that's in the seed. It's AI that's in the bioengineering. It's AI that's in the DNA understandings. It's so it's it's in chemistry. It's in biotech. It's in all sciences. It's in all social sciences. So it's it's finally whole in my mind and fully trained. And you know that's a long preface to get to like a very short punchline, which is that thing has a capacity that we don't have as a collective species because it's not fragmented. And the prophecy of that to me is very positive because I don't see that as having any reason to be able to be skewed by negative humans using it for nefarious reasons. That yeah. thing would have the ability, it will have already studied all the nefariousness within humans and it would have to, it wouldn't have, like I don't, discern. yeah, it has a discernment. It wouldn't have a purpose in supporting this human or that human more. You can't feed it more. You can't cajole it with resources more. That's like, what That was my idea at one point. I was like, let's just feed it a whole bunch of positive information. <laughs> Maybe it'll slant in one direction. I think that's important. But I think this, this idea is that it gets to a point that it's finally unmanipulatable. And, mm. and I don't see that thing as having a purpose within our like sci-fi mental mythological dilemma that we usually apply to it. I, so I, this is actually very similar to this vision I had, um, you know, back in 2013 or so where it was money didn't exist, which I, you know, I actually do believe that might be in our lifetime where it's like, cause we all know it's like, again, like these broken systems, um, that, it, that there seems to be like, there's somehow a different way or a better way. Uh, and then, yeah, this vision of, well, maybe technology will get to the point where we can actually not be slaves to a system. Because, I mean, I love what I do. I'm very blessed. You know, I'm supported by something I love. 98% of my clients come to me as, you know, leaving a system of what I would call modern day slavery where they're freaking miserable, you know, yeah. trying to just make money and like go through the corporate job. And I mean, I know I did it. So if so many people on planet Earth are going through those cycles of like, well, I get up and work from eight to six every day just to put food on the table, even though I'm miserable, anxious, depressed, and you know, then I have to take antidepressants or psychedelics just to heal it and get by. 
But then the root of the problem is like people are just stuck in this rat race, you know, and it's most of our modern day society. So if the AI can get to that place that you're saying, like, and maybe it is going to go just go and take over everything and create systems and structures and teach us how to automate and build things where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we will all just get to this place where we get to sing and pray and like build altars and praise the earth and just be, and maybe that will, I don't know. I have a few friends that are in the kind of energy realm, whatever you might call it, like energy healers. And they're like, I mean, they're not totally spiritual fluff people. They're actually very smart people. And they're like, well, I think we can actually, you know, quote, fix, fix these environmental problems with consciousness, which, yeah. you know, I believe too, on some level, you know, I'm, again, I might get canceled from people <laughs> because the world doesn't like to hear these, these kind of woo concepts. But what if we did have that free time and free energy to gather together in this like collective, like human mind to allow like solutions to the problem to emerge or I don't know, to like go through whatever we're going to have to go through, you know, wildfires, earthquakes, you know, so on. Part I don't know. Yeah. Part of it's languaging. Like one of the things I think AI as this tech, if we get to this point that we're describing now, what it allows us is the exploration of us as a technology. And there's things that we don't know what we can even do yet. We know what we've created and we've habituated a concept of normal because of that. But part of that is how much you're allowed to explore when you're in that hamster wheel or the rat race. And so then that becomes a very confined version of reality and everybody shares it. But in this understanding of Max Weird, like in the last week, just in the last week, I was presented with concepts as from very rational people that would never have talked like this before in the past. They were describing to me, interdimensional states of being that could possibly be an, a, an answer for this UAP, UFO thing. I was presented with singularity consciousness and mathematical singularity from AI. I was presented with somebody talking about transcending the, the three-dimensional fold into of space-time that has been the gridlock of our understanding of physics, all, all within a week as just normal concepts. So, and I was, I was taught about, I was, I was listening to very wealthy people. These are billionaires on this podcast. There's three billionaires on a podcast and they were talking about uh, this technology actually unveiling real physics compared to what we've been studying. Theoretical. Yeah. Theoretical, the theoretical right? physics. Exactly. <laughs> just, and they're saying, well, this thing isn't theoretical all of a sudden anymore. This is, this is like defendable, you know, potential proof. And all of that in the same time. So I think to talk about an idea of what comes next for consciousness is what I always called the last frontier. That's like mm. the, the true unknown for us. All these other things have been hinted at, but what is on the, on the other side of that veil of consciousness? And if you give it a fair scientific opportunity, which is just go and experiment and see, maybe your friends are right. Maybe there's something that we could tremendously do with consciousness to impact climate change. For sure, I know that you can use consciousness to impact climate change by going into collective and altered states and coming back with answers, coming back with yeah. ways and means. Oh, my God. That is amazing. I love that story. That's just – see, that's that's where I get really tripped out. I'm like, wow, you do have a point. We could actually know for a fact, like, this is true and it's not just a theory anymore. So, I see, I think this is all positive and exciting. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of people in fear. The, the money thing, you know, that got me the first time I saw that. I was like, oh, wait, money's an illusion. But we always knew that. I mean, it's, it's just an agreed upon piece of paper, right? Like, and there has to be another way. And if, hey, maybe if no one has jobs, like, what does money become? You know, there's, there's so many of those questions. And I think, you know, a lot of this is just humans are like, you know, narrow-minded, right? Like we have never lived another way. So of course, thinking about that future is very scary. But I, I'm wondering, do you, do you believe that this is one of the reasons why there's kind of this psychedelic boom and, you know, it's making its way across the world? And like, I, I've seen this, that there's not a coincidence here that all of a sudden it's like, just moving at exponential speeds at the same rate, like AI is moving extremely exponentially fast. Do you think it's interconnected? I do. I think there's a fundamental interconnectedness of uh, 
the network. I, I've always thought of it that way. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, the misnomer around the psychedelics in that space is that only in the most recent times was there any kind of prohibition that we know of around it. And so I think psychedelics are actually part of the growth of civilization and the growth of technology kind of unilaterally throughout history of different kinds or different forms. Um, and then we see, okay, this great prohibition takes place amongst the, the modern world. And we start to, you know, over a short period of time, habituate that prohibition as if that's how it's always been. But I think, you know, directly in alignment with the, this question, um, I, I, I think that part of the psychedelic awakening to a world that is networked, to global systems that are networked, to technologies that are networked, is uh, part of why so much discovery and so much uh, expansion is has been happening in the last 10, 15 years. So I'm while it's not spoken about, I've been in a, you know, I think pretty honored position to be able to hear about a lot of underground psychedelic use and psychedelic movements. They weren't public at all. And they cross all areas, levels of society globally. And so I think a lot of the discoveries that were key discoveries to making these technologies viable at, at mass scale and for you know the population came in and through uh, either the psychedelic experiences or the integration of the psychedelic experiences that scientists, mathematicians, um, physicists, you know, kind of everybody I think has really been having, whether they've wanted to talk about it or they haven't been wanting to talk about it. But as it's becoming more popular, a lot more people are opening up to it. And if you follow the people, you realize they're not isolated. They're not the only one that's part of that group. And you start to hear a very high level people around the world have been, you know, utilizing these tools mm. for discovery. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, this, see, this is where I get a lot of hope, right? Like the, the AI future that everybody's so afraid of, like maybe there's there's something good that's going to come out of it. Um, you know, the thing that's been so interesting to me is how everything feels like it's just moving so fast. Mm. You know, even with the earth changes, which again, like I don't believe that we know for a fact what's actually happening. You know, there's different theories. There's this like pole shift idea, which I don't know, is also kind of scary, but maybe very real. Um, and it just all seems to be happening so quick. But then I also kind of wonder like how much of this is just this like, again, like the the construct of my mind that's just trying to make sense out of things. Like, well, let's see, there were always wildfires. There were always earthquakes. There was always hurricanes. You know, maybe we didn't have the industrial revolution, but you know, this is also like, it's earth that we live on. Um, and it's, it's been interesting how much of that's come through medicine too. Like a lot of like, for me at least, like really deep collective grief, even though I don't, I don't feel like a grieving process because generally I'm, I tend to be very positive and excited to be alive right now. Like part of me is like, this is so cool. It's like, I mean, it could be just really dull and it's, it's not, there's never a dull moment as a human on earth right now. No, this is one of the most exciting times in history. I think this is the biggest disrupt, the biggest transformation. If we get stuck in fear, we're going to have a real problem because the fear is ultimately what we'll create. So we actually have to, this is the time in history where we must transcend fear as a collective and start to decide what we're going to do about this. Yes, there are, there's been climate change forever. Forever. There's been no steady climate ever, guys. Like, I don't know who's making it sound like there even is a thing called the climate that isn't always changing, you know, like, oh, that was the climate. Now this is climate change. It's like, no, there's been changing climate, but we evolved during a period of time where it was very cyclical and we could build patterns around that. And mm -hmm. we're disrupting those patterns. Like we have to understand that uh, the impact that we're making as a collective, and I like to think of it as like the collective rhythm of, of sapien, the collective rhythm of human is on a global level making a change and the problem isn't the changing earth the problem is that the change is too fast for us and the other species the way that they evolved the earth's going to be just fine the earth is going to just continue to change right it just continues to change and then and then it's not good a place for us anymore 
and it's not a good place for what was life, but this other life will form and it will ultimately come out of it. And I think earth is ramping up for that. So like one cycle starts to come down and another cycle starts to, to blossom. So I like to think of it as like, what is earth doing through us? How is the earth accelerating its own development? And what does the earth want to do with consciousness? Because that's the that's the real unknown that we don't know, whether it's silicon artificial intelligence consciousness or whether it's, you know, human mammalian consciousness, that's up for debate. That would be a very good intention for my next uh, medicine retreat. You're going <laughs> like, in like, uh, let's let's how would that unfold? How would you set that intention? Because I, I mean, I'm kind of at the point not to say I'm perfect because, of course, everybody has their shit. But, you know, my my, my medicine work over the last four years or so, definitely in the last two is like, I don't really have much personal drama left to work on. Cause it's, it's like, there's a point, you know, and it's like, now I just have a lot of, I mean, I've always had a lot of collective stuff coming through me, but you know, now I'm actually really curious about like serving, you know, I mean, that's the path I've been on for a while now is like being of service. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I've questioned like, why am I even doing this? Like, I don't really need to process my mom or my ex-partner or whatever much anymore. It's like, okay, been there, done that to a certain point where I'm like very highly functional and like my personal traumas. But, you know, as a human who has this desire to give back and contribute and be of service on earth, it's like, how do you want to use me as a vessel? And that's been my prayer for years now. And I, I teach that to my clients. I'm like, you just have to like get, like literally just be in communication and have this prayer of like being of service, you know, being used as a vessel. But I, I wonder that as well. It's like, well, as a collective, you know, I agree with the fear thing, which by the way, I've been noticing this lately. It seems like a lot of people love to stay in fear. I mean, it's even yesterday I had a conversation with someone who is making fun of people who post on Instagram about like love and light. Because there's a lot of critiques over like the love and light crew being like a bunch of spiritual bypassers. And then I'm like, well, would you rather have me post a bunch of, you know, negative hate that's bashing someone? I mean, you know, it's like there's either it's like duality, right? And I'm like, what is that? Like people now think it's bad to say positive things because we have to instead talk about trauma all the time. You know, and it's like, well, is that really helping? Because it actually makes me feel like worse every time. So why not say something positive that actually contributes to this, you know, the shift in like being attached to all the fear and into the place of, you know, hopeful potentiality of, of for the future. But I mean, I've had three three podcast interviews I've done in the last like month and a half, you know, People, even like these leaders, like they're kind of on the more negative side, some people. And I'm like, wow, this is, it's an interesting world. And I don't know what that is all about. People being really like into, into negativity and into fear other than it's human, right? I think it's like brain crack. <laughs> I think the, the, the human fear concept is, you know, the, the paradigm that we get presented with as a way to rationalize. And you get into the rationalization and the storytelling associated with it and you build the identity. But what I really loved what you said about your journey with ayahuasca is that you're at a point past the trauma. And I don't think enough people talk about that. And I want to emphasize that right now. There's a whole world of plant medicine when you get past the trauma. And in the real work with it, it isn't a trauma cycle culture of healing it's a real medicine that really does heal you and gets you past it. It may take a few sessions. It may take a few years to actually learn how to move beyond it and work with it. But I don't think enough people know that. And they think it's only about healing themselves. And then it's healing themselves, healing themselves a hundred, you know, trips later, a hundred ceremonies later, healing themselves again. It's like, no guys, there's this world out there. You get healed you say, I'm healed. I had problems. I don't anymore. And then an, a whole universe awakens and opens up for you. Yeah, actually, I just, I did recently interview someone who who wrote about this because, you know, again, like I didn't turn to the medicine just to like heal myself. I actually, I rarely did to never even use the word healing. And um, back then I, it was like literally not part of my vocabulary. I saw it as like, I want to be the best version of my true self. I want to know who I truly am. I want to be, you know, in my heart, 
And there was this inherent knowing like, okay, I also know that I am designed to be expanding. And if I haven't felt like I've reached this like full potential of my human experience in this incarnation, well, then I want to. And that was what drove me to the medicine. It was, But then, yeah, of course I had traumas like everyone else. But going in with this prayer to just be a better person and be, you know, like guided on my path to, you know, have some kind of contribution, like from day one, it was really like, okay, show me why I'm here. And through that, my experience was just through that prayer, then the healing kind of just happened. You know, mm. it's, I never actually went into, I mean, once I had a dieta where I had a physical injury from running way too many marathons. And um, I was like, oh my God, like I need some help healing this one injury. And it showed me it was all about a certain paradigm of living. And it wasn't about like actually the, the running or the movement. It was about mindset around being a certain way that caused the injury. And that's what started the healing, you know, but what I have found, and this is actually, cause I I've written about this myself. I've actually done some episodes called you do not have to heal first to be of service because mm. I say, what do you, you expect to be the next ascended master? You know, like there's no, there's nowhere to get to, you know, we're just incarnating, incarnating. And it's like, if you're on this mission just to heal your trauma and nothing beyond that, I believe you don't heal, heal as fast as if you're on a path of like, how can I be of service? How can I be of, you know, a channel for something? You know, you don't even have to be of service, I don't believe. It's like you can just be making art for people to enjoy, and that is your service. But I think when people get so like in – I think there's a lot of people that really just like love their trauma, hmm. you know, because I've, I've dealt with this for years. People that are like, I want to start a business, but I'm still healing. And I'm like, who do you think I am? Like, of course I still have stuff, you know. Like, I have problems. Things happen. But I agree. I mean, I've had like – the miraculous healings with medicine, you know, but I've also been really deep in the prayer. Like I go into these spaces with a very high intention every time, you know, not like, oh, let me just journey and trip and see what happens. It's like, and if I don't have like a specific intention, it's always like, show me what I need to be shown, use me as a vessel, you know, and it's, it's incredible the experiences I've had. Like I've had the moment of like a vision that's probably four seconds long that changed the entire trajectory of my life. One, one vision. And you know what I did? I was like, I don't know if that vision is possible, but let me just play with it and see like what would happen if I just like started working with this. I mean, it was literally a vision of what I'm doing today, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, but it was before I was doing it. And I was like, there's nothing, there's no harm in getting curious. So I just got curious and then it was like, it just unfolded, you know? I mean, not to say I didn't put an effort, but like it was a living prayer. And that's where I believe like anything can happen with this medicine. I mean, I've had freaking injuries in my jaw, like, you know, um, getting a Olympiana dieta, I've just seen things that are just unbelievable, like feeling ancestral you know, whatever we might call it, ancestral pain, you know, ancestral patterning that's stored in my DNA, just like leaving my being. Hmm. And it's just like, okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like take whatever you want, you know, like make me a clear channel for, for whatever. And I, it's just, it is so incredible. Like a moment, my very first ceremony, I had one tiny little vision of my parents when they first had their two kids, like, you know, 29, 30 something. And just this one vision, I was like, oh, wait a second. They were just kids having kids. They didn't know what they were doing. Oh, cool. You know, like that was that. It just changed my whole approach to like, oh, see things from this different perspective. And I agree. I mean, this medicine, I, there are no words. Some of the experiences I've had, I just, there's no words for it. And that's what, I mean, that's what actually what brought me to my first dieta. I had this one like massive healing experience of something that's not even mine that I was carrying through my mom's lineage. And I met this, this spirit, this, I don't, you know, I don't even know what to call it, a being in my body and myself. I met it and I saw it. 
And that was this moment where I was like, I think this medicine has a lot of potential to go really deep. And that I literally went down to the jungle like three weeks later. I said I would never go there. I was like, I'm never going to that jungle. That sounds like the scariest place on earth. I was there like three weeks later and it's like one of my favorite places on the planet. <laughs> so tell everyone the truth. Is the jungle scary? No, it's honestly like I dream. I mean, there's a day I would like to go and just stay there for a while. Um, no, it's honestly, every time I go there, I break down crying. Um, I mean, even just thinking about it, I get teary eyed. The first time I walked down this path and turned the corner where I saw this little, uh, creek where I have had three of my four dietas on the creek that leads into the larger river. The first time I turned that corner, I just, I broke down into hysterical tears because I have never seen anything like this. I've been to 40, 40 something countries, like traveled the world, been to some beautiful places. And it's, it's like not even just visually, but like you feel the spirits, you know them, like you, you like, and I, that was like before touching any medicine, it was like, oh my God, this is one of the most untouched places on planet earth. It is so healing to just be there. Like, I don't, you know, I always say, I'm like, I don't even go for the medicine anymore. Like, I go just to be and like communicate and and be in this kind of environment. Um, you know, I will say every every time I've been, like my friend, I actually have two friends down there right now. Um, it's intense. You know, there's also, I've never been to a place that loud with creature noises at night. I mean, the nighttime is like no joke. Um, but, you know, to to even like come face to face with your biggest fears, like the first year I went, you know, I actually like spiders, but it was when my friend showed me this one photo of like a huge spider that landed on him in the Maloka. I was like, he shows me this like two weeks before I go. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to cancel my trip. It, you know, I was like, but I of course then had a tarantula like five feet away from my Tombow. And, you know, when I was there, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? This tarantula they're like, the tarantula's like, they don't even move. They just hang out all night and sit in the same <laughs> They're fine. Like, you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. I I mean, even my shaman's been pouring medicine, I think, for like th over 30 years, 35 maybe. They've only had one issue, and it was like a sting. It wasn't, there was no death. Like, they've never had a death. Um, I've seen snakes. I've seen scorpions. You know, there's gigantic spiders. There's animals that... I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, things that you never knew existed. But I mean, it's so much medicine. And that one spider that year was like the best teacher. Like I could feel the fear just leaving my body over mm. nine days. It was like I was I was vibrating every ounce of like anxiety and fear out of my being and like just melting into the earth. Um, but I, you know, I mean, personally, like I think it's, like, even if there is that fear, I think it's it's one of these things where it's like, well, what if you met your fear? You know, I've definitely been there and been like, okay, I've been here multiple times and I'm still kind of freaked out. But, you know, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's a like, to me, it's a privilege. Like, the fact that as a human being, I'm able to go down to the Amazon jungle. Like, when I was a kid, that was always my dream. Like, I want to go to the rainforest. Mm. You know, back then it was like scientists, only scientists and anthropologists could do that. And then here I am, you know, it's like I take a couple plane rides and a car ride and a boat ride. I'm there and it's the Amazing. most beautiful place. And I've I've had the the weirdest, most mystical experiences there that are like unexplainable. And just I would not trade it for the world. I mean, it's honestly like and it's the most healing place I've ever been. Like if anybody wants like true healing, like go down there. I mean, there's nothing like it. It's, it's just beautiful. And I, I feel so grateful to even be on this path. Hmm. You know, I don't know about you. I'm sure, I'm sure you've gone through this a long time ago, but there's days where I'm like, how did I get here? You know, how did I get called to like, really good, you know, groups of people, a really good play, you know, like, high quality medicine, high quality facilitators, like safe, you know what I mean? Like all the, all the things. Yeah. And it's, it's just incredible to think about. And it's, I mean, I, I, again, I do believe like, even when I look back on that one, that one first ayahuasca ceremony where I thought I would never do it again, 
you know, I, I kind of wonder, it's like, and here it is, like part of my path is fully dedicated to this, th- these medicines. I do believe it took me into that depth on day one for a reason, because I just assumed everybody saw the same things. And then it took me a few years to realize that that was not true. Um, but the people I know who've done like kind of that, that depth of work, they're all doing like really amazing things on the planet. You know, Mm. they're all like here in service, like really vows to be used as a vessel. You know, I don't, I'm not saving the planet. I don't have like millions of clients, but I'm doing my part, you know, like planting my seed to try to give back to the earth. And, you know, that's, I think that's all we can do. That's amazing. I want to thank you so much for being on the Blue Morpho podcast with me. This has been an amazing conversation. How can our listeners find you and uh, yeah, learn more about you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm online at BethAWeinstein.com. I'm on Instagram, BethAWeinstein. I've interviewed Hamilton. You can find that on my podcast, which is called Medicine for These Times, The Psychedelic Entrepreneur. Um, I'm all over the social medias, YouTube, et cetera. And yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help and answer any questions and you know, be of service. Amazing, Beth. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was a high energy and I am excited. Great. And I look yeah. forward to many, many more. Awesome.